0: This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This This little little light light of of mine, I'm gonna gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hi, and welcome to Real Good Stuff. I'm Scott Clapson. I've been thinking a lot lately about mental health. It's been a very prominent topic in my whole life. It is especially a prominent topic now as I am in mental health recovery. And so many people are going through their own mental health struggles. I also took up here specialist class for people with lived experience of mental health and addictions at a local nonprofit. I'm participating in a wonderful new mental health series that we have a podcast about it. It's called Change Your Algorithm. That's been really helpful to me as well, as long as I can pull myself out of, you know, my depression and engage, which most of the time, actually I can. So I'm proud of myself for that. And I'm proud of you today. If you have done the same and showed up for something that you were trying to find the strength to show up for and weren't sure if you could. So thank you for showing up to the things that you want to and feel like you need to show up for, for yourself. But mental health has been a thread throughout my entire life. I have a history of mental illness in my family. I hate that term, mental illness, by the way. But it's still just like homeless. It's still a term that so many people use. And hopefully the more we listen to each other, the more we can change the words that we use and the ways that we describe things when we're talking about the people, places, and things around us. I have been shamed about my mental health for as long as I can remember. I've been made fun of. I've been made fun of for my depression. I've been made fun of for my emotions. I've been made fun of for my sensitivity. I've been made fun of in so many ways for my intuition. I've been made fun of. And my mental health is one of the biggest things that people have made fun of. I've been called a crybaby. Oh my gosh, I was called a crybaby so much when I was a kid. But I was very sensitive and I was very shy. And I was also growing up queer in a really white supremacist environment in Southern Oregon on the Southern Oregon coast. Right, Oregon is white supremacist by design. The whole Oregon territory had a black exclusion law. And the state of Oregon maintained that law when they founded. And the particular area of Southern Oregon, Northern California that I'm from has tried to break away and form their own state three times now. Once in around the 1840s, 1850s or so when, when the Oregon territory was first, you know, bubbling up and Oregon was becoming Oregon, the state of Oregon, they tried to break away and and form a, a new state called Jackson. And, Guess what? Oh, the Civil War happened, and they weren't able to form the state of Jackson. Time passed, and and this is all again happening like right in those like northern and most southern counties of Oregon and California. In the probably it was pre Wood it was pre Woodrow Wilson it was pre. Woodrow Wilson, the president and who became president in 1915. It was pre him that this was happening. So it might've been the late 1800s even when this started, but it started back up. And this time it was being called the state of Jefferson versus the state of Jackson. And they were trying again and it gained a lot more traction this time because White folks were kind of doing what they're doing now, right? Basically silencing the black experience, right? Reconstruction had been happening in the United States and all these amazing things had been happening. And there were black owned businesses and black wall street and, you know, all these amazing things were happening and, and folks didn't want that to happen. So they, spoke up white folks as they're doing now and silenced them and burned things down. I mean, isn't that funny? I mean, wasn't black folks that burned down black Wall Street in Tulsa, was it? I don't think so. I think that was white people. But anyway, uh, I think we should learn about history before we go shaming people for what's happening right now and social unrest that I think is absolutely warranted. I'm mad too. I have not broken anything or, you know, caused any like damage to property or anything like that. But I've certainly been mad. I'm certainly angry about what's happening. I'm certainly tired of hearing about police shooting people that are black and brown in cold blood. Like I'm sick of it. And especially being where I'm from. Anyway, getting back to (laughs) the state of. Jefferson. So we're in the 1915 years, right? It's really like wild. And these white folks, they are going bonkers in Oregon. Like literally they're marching through the streets in their hood robes and the Klan and all of that birth of a nation had just happened at the white house. And Oregon had its Black Exclusion Law was in full force at this point, right? They, they kept enforcing it until, the, like, I think it was 1921 was when it finally went away. They had a law excluding people who were Black. It was actually a law. That's bizarre to me. Like, it was still on the books, even though it wasn't being enforced. It was still written into the state's constitution when I was growing up there. And we didn't talk about it in school. At all. At all. Anyway, World War II happened. They were getting really, really close. Apparently it made, I don't know how you form a new state, but however that process is, and I'm sure that you know there's people that I know that are political science folks that are listening to this and he doesn't know how it become you can become whatever. I don't know, but apparently it's really difficult to add a new state. And they were trying to add a new state. And it didn't work. As recently as 2013, the county of Siskiyou, which ironically is the county that my mom is from, near Wairika, if any of you have been on the five and gone up through Oregon, uh, that county right there, you go through the last county in California, that's Siskiyou County. They voted, their their county supervisors or commissioners, I think they call them supervisors, they voted like four to one to secede from the state of California in 2013. With the hopes that the other counties that previously were going to secede from their respective areas do so again and make that move to do so in 2013 and 2014 and and post that time. Now, I don't know where that sits now. I don't know what's happening with that. I just think it's interesting that there's people who don't like what's happening. They want their area to stay And they'll tell you, oh, yeah, there's, you know, people, we're not like that. I'm colorblind. Okay. Well, I think if we have to say that, I think we're not. Because colorblindness is actually a thing where you actually don't see color. Where, like, red looks like a different color, right, or something. Like, that's like a, like, it's a real thing. It's like, no, you're not colorblind. You know that somebody's skin is brown. Or black, or that of they're of African descent. You know that, you know, somebody might be Latino, or somebody might be Asian, or somebody might be white. We're not colorblind, right? Because when we say that, we turn right back around and we say, oh, I have a black friend, or, right? I have black friends. I'm not racist. I have black friends, right? But I'm colorblind. It doesn't make any sense. It's completely illogical. This whole notion of white is right is also completely illogical. But hopefully, like, as we, you know, move forward in the podcasting journey, that will become understood as well, if it's not already clear. I grew up in this soup, in this soup of the state of Jackson and Jefferson and white supremacy and all of this. I grew up in this environment. Now this environment is homophobic, like super homophobic. It's not okay to be LGBTQ where I'm from in Brookings, Oregon. It's just not, it's just not. I've even heard people say On social media posts, no blacks and no gays. That's what I was told when I moved here. And this people that have moved there as recently as 1999. Now, those of us who are from there, we have a joke that Brookings is stuck in the 1950s. But there's a reason. So there's a little thing called redlining, right? And in the 1950s, there were these communities that were only white. Only white people could live in them, right? That folks were confined to certain parts of places and they weren't allowed to own property. That's still in the real estate covenants. When property is sold, you can see that in areas. Um, Shout out you know, Portland, Oregon, Pasadena, California, Santa Monica, California, you know, these things were enforced oftentimes up until the 1980s. And even arguably today, I think that, you know, when we say that, you know, things have changed, have they entirely changed? Have they entirely changed? Because we're kidding ourselves if we think that there weren't people who were of African descent that were free in this country, that were moving about freely was it more difficult in that time probably absolutely so just because things were even I believe worse just from things that I've read and and, and what I understand was happening at the time but colonialism and white supremacy has controlled this country for years and it controls the state of Oregon it has a stronghold in the state of Oregon and white supremacy doesn't like if you're LGBTQ white supremacy doesn't like if you don't move about in the same way that everyone else does because you need a scooter or you know something else some other mobility device white supremacy takes advantage of women and children and other people who are vulnerable in non-consensual ways. White supremacy creates homelessness. And even more so, Mental health shaming is one of the biggest tools of white supremacy. I know this because I've been gaslighted and made fun of and mocked my entire life. My entire life. People have made fun of me. And it's interesting because I had this conversation with a friend and we were talking about what's happening in Oregon right now and our concerns and just exchanging information and things. We're both activists. And she said, why is that? Why is that that they do that? When, when they try to attack you, they come for your mental health or the fact that you're queer, And I said, that's the way they've always done. She's not from Brookings. She she recently had some experiences there that were really, like, even eye-opening for me, which is shocking because I was a black studies major at Portland State and an African-American and anthropology history major at LA City College before that. So like my focus, right, had been kind of on looking at these, you know, looking at these systems, looking at these systems and how, and how they interconnect and how, you know, we, there are all these barriers and it's very, it's very set up in a, well, just look at the board of healthcare organizations, especially in places like Oregon or places like that, you'll see, you know, Where are, no, you see a bunch of very, yeah, it's white people. It's white people. Oregon's white by design. And that's the environment I grew up in. That's the environment I grew up in that is not welcoming where beating up gay men was sport. There was a game when I was a kid, smear the queer. And I remember not wanting to play with the other kids, and I remember nobody knowing why. I always loved to be by myself. I didn't want them to hurt me. I didn't want to be the butt of their jokes. I didn't want to be made fun of for my mental health or for being queer. But it happened all growing up. And you know what? It's interesting. I was I was bitten by a pit bull, actually, and I believe it was not the pit bull's fault. It was the guy who owned the pit bull was agitating the pit bull and starving it. But I was attacked by a pit bull in February of twenty nineteen. It was very scary and I was blamed for it. I was told that I loosed the dog on myself, that one of my friends undid the dog's chain, and that's how the dog got loose. That is totally not what happened. I still don't know what happened, and I don't think anybody else entirely does either. I was stunned by the whole ex- whole experience. But this guy was upset that people were taking over Hollywood Adventist Church, that LGBTQ people were coming in and destroying this church. Which is completely not true. Completely not true. And I'd always been nice to him. I thought we got along. But there was a couple of us in The A Million Drops Learning Center, which is, you know, where I had interacted with him most outside of the church, but it was still on the church grounds. He was reacting to me and this other guy in the class that we were doing a poetry class and we were, me and this guy were talking about homelessness and I just kept, as I was writing, I kept like feeling this like thing come out of me, like this loneliness of like I, this loneliness of homelessness, I know it. It's familiar. It's absolutely familiar. And what it was familiar, and what was familiar about it, was the isolation. The isolation of growing up queer in that little town in that church, that's what was familiar about it. And it stunned me. Now that's been in my mind over the last, you know, probably I would say two years or so that I have made that connection. It didn't really happen in the first year. It wasn't until year number two. And I remember thinking about that so much. And just being here, you know, in Los Angeles and seeing everything that's happening and watching all of these activists that I'm meeting on social media and just all of these people that are. oh my goodness, if I could be as half as amazing as some of you that I see you just the way that you care and the way that you just, even when people hate you, you just answer them with love. I may not, I may cuss them out for you, but you just still try to be loving and compassionate towards these like white is right, white nationalists. And I just have like, like wow because it like makes me fucking mad it makes me fucking mad and i don't want to just you know i don't want to turn the other cheek and be loving back you know and that's that's my shit and i need to own that and i need to work through that and try and like process that like you know because it's my own like shit why that's coming up and being like hey like No, like everybody's got their thing, you know, and I can't imagine, like I can't imagine like what that must feel like to go around just having an attitude about people not wanting like you not thinking people should exist because of who they are. Like I just can't imagine that. Like I can imagine like, you know, stereotypes and whatever. I get that. Like I get there's lots of people out there that have stereotypes about different groups of people. That's a lot lot easier for me to comprehend. What I can't comprehend is people who think that folks should shouldn't exist. They don't have a right to exist. And it's occurred to me recently that, you know, all of these things are so linked, right? The mental health shaming and the homelessness and the food insecurity and all of it. They joke and they say that Brookings is like the 1950s. Brookings is like the 1950s because Brookings is a sundown town. Last I heard, a few years ago, there were over 700 sundown communities in the state of Oregon. Seven hundred. Oregon ain't that big. I mean Oregon's a decent sized state, but Oregon's not that populated. Seven hundred communities. That's upsetting. That's really upsetting. Now, some of them might be really small communities, but they're still not welcoming to people who are not white after dark. I'm from one of those communities. It may have changed now. I've heard people say, oh, there's black people here. Okay. Okay, I was just there in 2017. I did not see that many black people there. And I will tell you what, after what I've seen recently, I can completely understand why. It has renewed my activism in a new way to speak up about all of this. And it's great to say, oh, let's get along and all, but it is not okay to on my Instagram last night, one of the gentlemen that was threatening the Black Lives Matter protesters in my hometown of Brookings, Oregon, and he and his friends actually laid hands on a young woman and were like intimidating them and following them around the community. He showed up on my Instagram last night under a private profile without, like, a picture. He's still doing it. I haven't looked at his social media or his YouTube channel or nothing. And, gosh, I don't know when I shared the YouTube link to his little three percenter whatever nonsense where he's trying to mental health shame me and all of that i shared that with somebody a couple times recently because i was asked to for purposes of you know activism and letting people know you know things that were being shared i was stunned i was like this guy's this guy's still like here like why are you still here man? We don't live in the same place. I've not even been talking about him. I've been so focused on the bigger picture. I had forgotten about him honestly. There is a whole there's a whole nation, honestly, a whole world of this going on right now. But I'm thinking about my home state of Oregon. And I'm thinking about these laws and I'm thinking about all of these things and I'm thinking about all of these things that we keep talking about because we want to change them. Nobody's asking for special rights. We're being asked. Nobody is asking for special rights. We are asking to be treated like human beings. And allowed the right to exist. And I don't care if you say not in your community. That's my community. Brookings is my hometown. I grew up there. That's my hometown. You don't get to tell me where I can and can't come back to. And when I want and when I can and can't come back. You don't get to tell me when I can and cannot come back to my hometown. That's unacceptable. See these folks, that's what they do. They, they look for weaknesses. And if your weakness is your mental health, then that's what they will attack. And they will gaslight you and mock you and make fun of you. And I just think about all those times when I was growing up. When they saw the brilliance in me. The queer magic that I possess. This brilliant creative energy that... I bring into the world, the light that I bring into the world. The way that I literally cause people to come out of the closet, that's happened quite a lot actually, where I have helped people come out who were struggling. White supremacy and mental health shaming are intrinsically linked intrinsically linked. We see that in the biggest way with all of a sudden hashtag save the children. Oh, we're tired of Black Lives Matter. It's the kids. We're all being distracted. It's the, you know, have you seen those memes? Those ridiculous memes? Where it's like climate change and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then child sex trafficking way over here in like the big whatever. I mean, it's also like, you can also see people that are climate change, do that with climate change. And then, you know, whatever people are saying that folks are deflecting because they're wanting their, you know, thing. And there's a lot of white folks right now that they want you and I and everyone else to think about hashtag save the children right now, instead of hashtag black lives matter. To see in their mind, hashtag save the children, hashtag Black Lives Matter are not the same thing. In their minds, those things aren't intrinsically linked. They don't see that if a white supremacist doesn't see value... In a person's life, especially a person who is LGBTQ or a person who is Jewish or a person who is black or Latino or an immigrant or Native American or indigenous, if a white supremacist does not see value in those human lives, why would they see value in the life of a child that they were holding against the child's will? It's been really interesting because, right, we've all had a lot of time to kind of be alone with ourselves and to think and to process and to think about things. And I've been thinking a lot about this theme of white supremacy and how it kind of flows through homelessness. I mean, look at the, look at the homeless service organizations here in Los Angeles, how many of them are run by white people? How many of them until recently had nothing to address the black experience of being homeless, which is such a huge portion The LGBTQ community in homelessness is drastically overrepresented. And even that becomes problematic because I've had people working in the industry say, well, I'm queer and I just got over it. Okay, excuse me. (laughs) Pardon me. Pardon me compartmentalizing. Yeah. Yeah shout out to some of the Christian nonprofits that say that they're trying to help people, but don't acknowledge their LGBTQ identities as people who are unhoused and needing mental health support. It's really interesting because it's all so linked and I didn't see it until recently. I didn't see it growing up. I really didn't. I I knew that they existed. I knew that, you know, people made fun of me and that I was different and that I was, you know, gay, which was the term that I was using at the time. And people just made fun of me a lot, a lot. Like it was really hurtful, a lot. And I lived in fear a lot as a kid because of that. And it's just so interesting that like now as an adult, I look at all of this and I think about why this was, right? Why, why me? If you've ever done that, if you've ever sat around and, and thought, why me? Why me? Why me? Why not me? Why not me? I noticed it this morning when I was sitting there on the bench with my friend, we were waiting for the bus. I was taking him to go to a store. He can't see very well. He's an older gentleman. And this woman came up. She doesn't have a home. She hasn't had a bath in a long time. Hasn't changed her clothes in a long time. And she just stood there, she tried to get the words out to ask the guy that I was you know helping get to the store ask him if he had a c- extra cigarette. he gave her the one he was smoking because he had just lit it up, and she just stood there and and he didn't know what to do. And he's an older white guy, so I got a little nervous, like that something weird was going to happen, right? In the state of the world that we're in right now. He didn't say anything mean. He didn't do anything. But it was clear that she was having a really rough time. And I remember just looking at her beautiful, dark skin, beautiful, like, dirty hair. Just. What a beautiful soul, but just standing there so dirty and so like unable to communicate and like drooling and just, just not in a good place. And she kept holding this like bag of chips out in front of us. I couldn't figure out like what she was trying to say. I knew I didn't have anything to help her with cuz I didn't have any money today. But I remember sitting there with him and just noticing that like a tear splashed off of the bag of chips. And then another tear and I looked up and she was crying. like completely breaking down, crying. And then she started shaking. And I remember having this conversation with her, like intuitively, right? Like she didn't really like talk. She couldn't talk. She couldn't get the words out. You could tell she was trying, I could tell she was trying to speak, but she couldn't speak. And I felt so much compassion for this woman. I've never seen her before. I don't know if I'll ever see her again. My heart was broken for her. Like super broken for her. And after she was done standing in front of us crying And it was a good, it was a good amount of time. And I just didn't like, I don't think he knew what to do because I didn't break eye contact with her. I just kept looking at her and she could tell that I saw that she felt comfortable standing in front of us and opening up like that and crying, even though she couldn't talk. And she started to slowly try to walk away. And she turned around and she said, thank you. Like, it was distinct. Like, I can see her face right now, just like up for a moment and like, thank you. And then back to like how she was. This woman is dealing with what I cannot even imagine. Her feet were bare. I mean, she was in a bad space. Physically, emotionally, mentally, all of it. But this beautiful, dark-skinned woman of African ancestry, just beautiful, but going through so much in this current physical state. Now, who knows? Maybe our paths will cross again in this life and it'll be amazing. And she'll be, you know, clean and happy and not crying and fed and all of that. I wish that for her tonight and every night I'm going to pray for her that she finds that and that that finds her. But it made me think again of the links between white supremacy and mental health shaming and homelessness. I didn't make it up. It was just the state I was born into. the state of being queer that I was born into, and the state of Oregon with its white nationalist history. I want to talk a lot more in these podcasts about Oregon and my experiences growing up there. It's not a horrible place, but I think as with everything... We have a lot of growing to do. There's a lot of things in our past, and we can't change those. We can't go back and change the history of Oregon. We can't go back and undo what was done. I can't undo the stereotypes that I've had about, you know, certain neighborhoods because of, you know, encampments before, you know, when I lived at. Virgil and Beverly way back in 2000, I was super privileged and stereotyped. Now that was 20 years ago, but I was super privileged and stereotyped in my you know, mindset and the things that I thought. And I had to have a lot of people that I met that were sleeping outside correct a lot of narratives for me, right? And I mean, I didn't even know when I moved into that neighborhood, I didn't even know what white privilege was. Nobody had really had that conversation with me. It was 1998 and people were, you know, not really, they weren't talking about that in the same way that they are now. It's so fascinating to me to see this journey, to see where it's taken everyone, to see where it's taken me, to see where it's taken friends of mine who are activists that I went to school with. I am excited to continue talking about these things. Because by talking about these things, by bringing these things to light, by no longer hiding them in the dark, like that town for years, they don't want you to be out. White supremacy doesn't want you to be out. It doesn't want you to be who you are. I don't want to see that. Do your thing, but I don't want to have to know about it. That's a very selfish standpoint. It's a very white supremacist standpoint. I think it's important to remember that mental health shaming is a tool of white supremacy. And honestly, I don't think people mean to do it. I think if we haven't struggled with something, it's easy to take a textbook or something else someone's written or something that we saw online or some other thing and take it and say, hey, I learned this. There is a really great James Baldwin quote, actually, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to see it right now, but this really beautiful, beautiful quote. James Baldwin, a liberal... Someone who thinks he knows more about your experience than you do. Now, at first I was like, well, hold up, James. Why are you like, why are you writing about me like that? (laughs) A liberal, someone who thinks he knows more about your experience than you do. But see, I didn't study black studies to teach black people. That's totally not what I was doing. And I didn't even really see myself really being a professor. I studied that because I took a music class on African-American music history. And I was so blown away by how many things I didn't know about music that black people had done in our nation. That what else? What else in our nation had black people excelled in and we'd robbed them of it? What other areas in our nation had we taken the narratives of people who are black people who have African ancestry and claimed their experience and appropriated their experience and said it was ours. We're living on land. That's not ours. And I already knew that. So it shifted things for me. When I took that class, Dr. Luther Henderson, that third, you can thank him. He's the one who did this to me. His class changed my trajectory as a person. It shifted everything. See, music was my passion. I loved music and love music almost more than anything else in the entire universe. And if something that I was so passionate about was my major in school, and I had taken. 10 years of piano lessons, 15 years of voice, been singing in choir since I could be in a choir, played the organ in the church growing up, was a voice major in college for five years at multiple different schools, sang in choirs, in community choirs, in like other choirs at schools and you know universities and community colleges and different places like that. I never knew. I never knew all of the things about music where black folks wrote something and a white person took it and made the song a hit, made the song the song that Everybody's saying because the black person couldn't do it because that wasn't acceptable. Now, I think we maybe think that that's not the case. I actually probably think it is the case, and I probably think we could find multiple examples of when this happens. I'm thinking in particular of Adele rocking Bantu knots and a Jamaican bikini for the carnival. 2020 selfies or pictures or whatever that she took. Um, it's appropriation, right? It's not okay. It's sweetie. Why <laughs> I get that? You love the Jamaican flag, but why are you wearing a Jamaican bikini? And more important, why are you wearing Ben two knots in your hair? Like, I get that you love that, but like, At the same time, like you're really like appropriating the culture without like getting it. This is Adele we're talking about. Like this is this is not a costume. Like this was a costume for her. She put this on. She put this hairstyle on that belongs to another culture. She put it on like it's a hat. That's not okay. We have to start talking about these things because it's all linked, right? It's all linked back to the same place. I'm not saying she's a bad person. And honestly, unless someone's out there actively killing people, like, you can be racist as you want to be. If you're not out there killing people and you're not actively out there, like, trying to destroy people's lives, dislike whoever you want to dislike. That's on you. If you want to bring that energy into your life, when I get so mad is when people take their prejudice, because we all have prejudice, right? We all have things where we disregard another group of people and see them as inferior to us or different than us in some way that's fundamentally absolutely different than us, As that we are not the same human beings even almost. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, maybe I'm being too truthful. I don't think I'm being too truthful. I think that's being like honest. I know it's being honest. But it's something different when we choose to act on it. And then we start to say, oh, this person doesn't have a right to exist. This person with mental illness or mental health struggles doesn't have a right to exist. This person who was taking the scooter down the sidewalk, which actually happened in Brookings, and people were harassing her. This was a few years ago. They actually harassed her and followed her home. Followed her home. She was in a scooter, and they followed her home and harassed her in my hometown of Brookings, Oregon. It's all linked back to white supremacy, right? Because it's the same People, as it wasn't until my now dear, 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 dear encourager stood up to some folks in Brookings, along with her daughter and along with another friend of theirs who is from my hometown. Y'all three are amazing women, amazing women. And I remember seeing these videos online and getting mad, so mad. Because I remember what that felt like. I remember what that felt like to be targeted. I remember what that felt like to be treated that way in that same town and I saw the comments sections and I saw these same people that have harassed me and made fun of me before on social media or in different ways around my mental health or for being queer harassing these women. And I, and it began to click. It was all, linked. The same people that were harassing me for being queer and for having mental health struggles were harassing these women for saying that black lives matter. They were harassing these women for saying, we will not be heckled. We will not allow you if we're going to be out here holding signs to stand out here and tell us that you're going to do all of these terrible things. We're not going to stand for that. We're not going to tolerate that. Now, they continue to tolerate it, and apparently, from what I understand, there was or is going to be some kind of white nationalist rally in my hometown of Brookings, Oregon. Um, It's gross. It's really, really gross. And I hope that the residents of Brookings Harbor, Oregon, start to understand that white supremacy is not okay. Okay. Like, we all have the work of anti-racism to do. All of us. But white supremacy is not okay. Having a white supremacy rally, or a white nationalist rally, or a 3% rally, or whatever you want to call yourselves, is not okay. Showing up on my Instagram last night, when I haven't thought about you in months, because, sweetie, I really just don't care. Like, (laughs) I really don't. Like, really, like, I've got bigger things to do than worry about you. We're changing policy and systems and, like, larger things than, you know, you. (laughs) You're probably going to continue to be As hateful as you are and that's okay and you can show up on my instagram all you want i think it's cute i'm actually very flattered when you call me kiddo but i am not scared another really amazing quote that i have been thinking about a lot lately Is Audrey Lord? I am deliberate and I am afraid of nothing. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that the next time someone's bullying you or someone's gaslighting you around your mental health or saying to you, oh, well, that's, you always twist what I say. Oh, you just, you always, you always are just doing that. They're gaslighting you. It's a tool of white supremacy to get you to question yourself and doubt yourself. It's hard to find strength in the middle of that. Someone else even said to me today, am I making you question your sanity yet? No, sweetie, I do that on my own. Just fine. Thank you. And I'm not questioning my sanity. What I'm questioning is how can people like this continue to get away with this in this world? How do these people continue to get away with this when I know so many activists and amazing people that are barely making it by and they're trying so hard to serve the community Whether that's in Brookings or Los Angeles or Portland or Florida or New York or Cameroon or London or South Africa or Kenya or Kazakhstan or China or Taiwan or Indonesia or Russia. Like it exists everywhere. And we have to do something about it. Like, it's not okay to just sit back. It's not okay to just sit back and say, hey, what that person said about me is true. I should question my own sanity because we shouldn't. That's someone else's opinion based on false narratives that are not true, that deny our very existence, and it is unacceptable. Whether we are LGBTQ, whether we have a different form of moving through the world, or we have a different way that we learn, or a different way that we express and process our emotions, or a different way that we interact in the world, or our skin color is maybe not white and a different skin color than that, or whatever it is, a woman, whatever it is, it's not you. I've spent 46 years, well, wow. Maybe not 46 because the first couple years I might not have been reminding myself this. But I have spent most of the 46 years of my life reminding myself that what these people say about me is not true. I am not who you say I am. I am not who you say I am. I am not who you say I am. These times are difficult. There's a lot of challenges. And it's interesting to see for me as a community organizer, all of the links to white supremacy. It's really fascinating. It's really fascinating how We have let it go this far and we want to look at the current leadership and think that it's him. It's completely not him. What's happening though is they're really smart and they're capitalizing on the tensions that already exist on the stereotypes that already exist. They're playing the stereotypes deeper and harder than ever before. Look around you. Music, movies, media, the stereotypes, they're playing the stereotypes harder than ever before. Didn't take them long to come up with their own hashtag to try and cancel out and override. Oh, Hey, we're just, there's more of us and we're just going to start hashtagging, save the children. And we'll just cancel it out because you know what? This BLM thing is just a distraction. They just want special rights. No, they don't want special rights. What they want is they want law enforcement officers to stop killing them in cold blood. That's what they want. And I don't think that's too much to ask. Just like those of us who are mental health survivors we don't want to be mental health shamed anymore by providers or by members of the community or by clergy or by family members or by other well-meaning advocates that say things to us like, don't go off the deep end or, oh my gosh, I just can't deal with you right now. Or dealing with, well-meaning advocates that say things like just don't go off the deep end again. It's hurtful and it's not okay. And it has its roots in white supremacy. It has its roots in making you want to question yourself and question your own sanity It's time for us to stop questioning our own sanity for the sake of people in power. It's time for us to stop questioning who we are to appease people who are speaking for us. It's time to stop questioning ourselves. Because somebody else said, that's the way that it's going to be. And this is who you are. It's time to stop questioning ourselves. It's time to stop questioning ourselves when someone says to you, am I getting under your skin yet? I know you may think it's a stretch. I know you may have listened to this and thought, you know, Scott, this is a little bit out there. It's not out there at all. I promise you this. I've seen so many similarities. My brain loves patterns. I love patterns. And colors and textures and life everywhere. I love patterns. And the longer that I was on the street, the more I noticed a pattern. Between the mental health shaming in my life, between the homophobia in my life and between the experience of homelessness. Those three things had distinct, same, not similar, same characteristics. These weren't similar feelings, they are the same. Because again, when you're homeless, it's like this feeling of the pandemic. You are alone a lot. A lot. And there's a lot of time to think. There's a lot of I've done a lot of thinking over the last 3 years. There's a lot of time to think. Mental health shaming is a tool of white supremacy. And we need to keep talking about it. Even when it makes people uncomfortable homophobia is a tool of white supremacy. And we need to keep talking about it. Even when it makes people uncomfortable, ableism is a tool of white supremacy and we need to keep talking about it. Even when it makes people uncomfortable. Sexism is a tool of white supremacy. And we need to keep talking about it. Even when it makes people uncomfortable. Ageism is a tool of white supremacy and we need to keep talking about it even when it makes people uncomfortable. Gaslighting is a tool of white supremacy and we need to keep talking about it even when it makes people uncomfortable. Push farther. Homelessness is a tool of white supremacy, and we need to keep talking about it, even when it makes people feel uncomfortable. Push harder. Healthcare access and barriers are a tool of white supremacy, and we need to keep talking about it, even when it makes people uncomfortable. Religious supremacy, i.e. thinking that Christianity is the only way and disregarding all other people from everything is a tool of white supremacy. And we need to keep talking about it even when it makes people uncomfortable. I want you to be uncomfortable. I've been uncomfortable my whole life. Do you know how uncomfortable it is to walk down the street and have someone yell names at you because of who they perceive you to be and who they perceive you to be physically attracted to? If you've never felt like that, I guarantee you, you don't want to feel that. And if you've never had someone walk by you on the street and look at you or spit on you because you're homeless, I guarantee you, you don't want to feel that because it sucks. but those are tools of white supremacy and we have to keep talking about them. Our systems are not broken. Mental health and homelessness and all of these things that people say are broken, they are not broken. They're not broken. This is all very real. The systems are functioning just the way they were set up to function. I encourage you to think about that. I encourage you to go out and do your own research, to learn, to go out there, to volunteer, to get involved, to get to know some people of a different identity. Think about how you collude with white supremacy. Think about if there's mental health shaming that you do to yourself or to other people, or if there's homophobia or racism or whatever it is, ableism, ageism, sexism, whatever it is in you that is colluding with white supremacy, I encourage you to look at it. I encourage you to think about it. I encourage you to do the work to undo that for yourself, for the people around you. And for all the people to come after us, this isn't fair. It's not fair to put people through this. We have to break the cycle. We have to break the cycle. We have to break the cycle of white supremacy. My name is Scott Clapson. Thank you so much for listening to real good stuff. I really appreciate you for taking this time for this difficult conversation. I hope you learned something. If you'd like to learn more and you'd like to maybe even learn to create your own podcast, I would be happy to teach you. I would love to connect with you. Feel free to reach out to me through the website or social media or some other way. And I will be happy to talk with you more about how to create your own show and your own podcast series. Thanks so much for listening to Real Good Stuff. Have a great day. Bye-bye.